Hello, everyone. Welcome to Talking Logistics, where we have conversations with thought leaders and newsmakers in the supply chain logistics industry. It's my great pleasure to welcome today's program, Omar Nadi, who is Director of Supplier Product Management at Alemica. And today we're going to talk about streamlining and automating the procure-to-pay process. Now, this is a process that many companies are focusing on, uh, especially those that you know, have to deal and manage with hundreds, if not thousands, of suppliers and you know, high volumes of you know, purchase orders, shipments, and, and invoices. Um, so what are the challenges that companies are facing as they, as they try to streamline and automate the procure-to-pay process? And what's the role of technology in helping to facilitate this whole thing? Well, those are some of the questions we're going to address in today's episode. And uh, it's great to have Omar with us on the program to share his insights and advice on the topic. So, uh, Omar, welcome to the program. Thank you. Thanks for having me, Adrian. Looking forward to our uh, conversation. So, uh, Omar, you know, we've had many of your colleagues there at uh, Alemica on Talking Logistics over the years, and uh, this is your first time. So I'm always curious before we dive into the, the topic, you know, how, how and why people get involved in this industry to begin with. So why don't you briefly tell us a little bit about your career path and uh, kind of what your role is there at Alemica? Sure. Uh, I took a, a more direct route than a lot of my colleagues to get here and in, involved in supply chain. Uh, went to an engineering college. I briefly had a, had a run in uh, patent law when I graduated. I thought I wanted to be a, an IP attorney, worked for a corporate law firm, uh, realized that wasn't where my passions lay, uh, and had an opportunity to come work for a company called Rubber Network, uh, which was focused on uh, digitizing and optimizing the inbound supply chain for the tire and rubber industry. Uh, so I started there around 15 years ago. Uh, we were acquired by Alimica in 2009, and I stayed on. I've been working with Alimica since then, uh, got into the product management side of things, and now uh, run our supplier product management uh, suite, very much still focused on the same things that I was back then, which are, you know, how do we, how do we solve the problems of the inbound supply chain and deliver products that uh, could be value for our customers. Yeah, no, great, uh, great, great, uh, uh, you know, background there. And I think it's perfect, you know, kind of leading into the, you know, the, the topic at, at hand here. Um, you know, like I mentioned, you know, in my opening remarks, you know, the procure to pay process is, you know, something that, that many companies are focusing on today. And, you know, ultimately, it's, you know, it depends on the ability for buyers and suppliers to be able to communicate and collaborate, you know, effectively with each other. I mean, how automated or streamlined are these interactions today? And, you know, kind of what are the main challenges or, or hurdles in the way? Sure. And, and I think I should preface my response by saying, you know, there are really uh, kind of two streams within procurement, right? There's, there's the indirect material side, which is very much focused on controlling the activities that, that lead up to placing a purchase order, right? So the requisitioning and the workflow, making sure that you're uh, using the right supplier at the right price and controlling spend that way. It's very much a, a, a focus on controlling spend. Then there's direct material procurement, which is very much focused on what you talk about uh, around getting suppliers onto the network, interacting with those suppliers, making sure that when you send an order uh, to that supplier that you get information back from them, letting you know if they are going to deliver that on time and in full, getting shipment information with it ship when it ships so that you can really control your working capital because that's the difference between the two predominantly is that one's much more focused on working capital control and one's focused on spend control. Uh, within kind of the supplier networks that, that, that I know of, you know, with the customers that we work with and just in the market in general, 
Uh, in the worst case scenario, uh, companies are really just kind of firing purchase orders effectively into a black hole, right? Where they're not getting information back. They don't know if that order has been confirmed. They don't know if they're, whether it's going to be delivered on time or in full. And in the real worst case scenarios, they don't know that there's a potential issue with that order until the day of delivery. Uh, the next kind of tier up from that in, in automation or in, in successful kind of programs here, are the, the companies that maybe you know, 10, 15 years ago, 20 years ago, connected a handful of their top suppliers on uh, via EDI connection, either managing that with their in-house IT, doing point-to-point -point or going through a van, uh, and, and then maybe adding another handful of suppliers on, on a uh, custom portal they built that's part of their ERP system. Uh, the next kind of group that have really kind of pushed that envelope and been much more successful are ones that have utilized digital networks or business networks like Alimica uh, to really leverage one IT investment and get a much broader uh, kind of success rate with connecting their, their partners, whether they be suppliers or logistics providers or customers, some other entity that they interact with as part of their uh, you know, operations. And those companies, you know, the, the most successful ones, the real leaders there are, are or have digitized north of 90% of their supply base uh, and, are, and are interacting with their suppliers, knowing uh, well, well in advance if there's gonna be an issue with a particular order that they've placed. Uh, and even pushing the envelope further, integrating uh, logistics providers into that process, because logistics obviously is very important in the direct material supply chain. And you're focused on, on working capital, you're focused on uh, keeping production up, you know, in indirects, materials, uh, office supplies, replacing an order for office supplies if it's late, a laptop, cleaning service, uh, that's not gonna you know, shut down a production line. That's not gonna cost you a million dollars an hour uh, to, to take that offline. So that it's much more critical to, to connect suppliers in a direct material network and get that data back into your system. And, uh, and even the, the ones that are really on the leading edge are also doing more collaborative uh, replenishment approaches, whether that's uh, a vendor managed inventory kind of approach or forecast collaboration, but something where they're uh, sending signals upstream in the supply chain, sending production plans, sending inventory so that their suppliers can better plan. Uh, and, and then and that kind of benefits everyone that's that's participating in the system, right? And that's that's kind of the breadth of how I see companies starting, you know, going from the worst to, to the best and how they're kind of automating their supplier networks. Yeah, that's that's a great way to kind of you know break it up in terms of the laggards and, and the leaders, if you if you will. I mean, I, I think my, my my perspective on this has been that you know historically a lot of companies kind of focused on the eighty twenty rule, right? They focused on you know twenty percent of their suppliers uh, that you know accounted for eighty percent of their you know transactions. But you know in this environment where um, you know companies are trying to make smarter decisions faster, they're looking to uh, you know, customer requirements becoming more demanding, so on and so forth. You know, that 80-20 rule um, really doesn't uh, work anymore, right? So kind of getting to that long tail of the supply chain uh, in terms of that that remaining 80% of suppliers and trading partners and how do, you, how do you bring them on board and be able to communicate and collaborate with them more effectively, I think has been, you know, kind of a key area or challenge for, for a lot of companies. So when you said, you know, some of the folks that are kind of leveraging you know, some of these, plat you know, the platforms like, like your platform, you know, getting up to 95%, you know, that, that's pretty, 
leading class, right? Yeah, that's pretty significant. You know, uh, to, to, to get there is it's it's a, a very long, ongoing challenge, right? So these are companies that have a very mature kind of approach to how they want to build these networks. And they've incorporated this into how they do sourcing, you know, from top to bottom within that organization. Uh, you know, they've made sure that this is, you know, that they've kind of sent the message out that this is how we do business. This is how we need to do business. This is a, an expectation we have of our supply base. Uh, you know, a service they need to offer us. Um, so, so yeah, they they really have worked very hard to to achieve those kind of numbers for sure. And obviously, I mean, this leads to my next question. Obviously, technology has played a role here uh, as well. I mean, I I think in the past some of the challenges were that you know EDI was the only game in town, if you will, and and really that that was really only applicable to the very large companies who can afford it and had the you know, the resources to do EDI and maintain those connections and, and so forth. I mean, fast forward to today, I mean, what, what new technologies or, or capabilities are available today to, to overcome, you know, some of these historical challenges and barriers? Sure. So, so some of those, some of those problems, right? So you touched on a few of them. There's, there's others in the sense that, uh, you know, are your suppliers even capable of doing EDI? You know, when you look at your broad supply base, especially in direct materials, you've got a very broad geography of suppliers, very different sizes of these companies and, and IT budgets, uh, can, they, can they do EDI? Then if, if they can, uh, you know, does it warrant putting, applying their resources to do that for you, right? So you, you run into the issue of what, what is the IT capability of the supplier? Then you get into adoption and change management. If they can't do you know, IT you know, or an EDI connection, what are the alternatives you can offer them to participate? And, and traditionally that's been a portal. Right, which has its own uh, kind of pros and cons, and and if and if a supplier is getting 20 different customers coming to them, asking them to connect to 20 different portals, uh, obviously that supplier, you know, may have to hire more people just to manage all the portals, you know, and there's change management, training, configuration, adding them on there, uh, you know, training a backup, all of that that comes into play. And then just the cost structure of, of certain networks can be a real challenge. You know, if, they're, if, if all of the burdens kind of placed on the supplier to pay for all of this, uh, that can be a real struggle, right? Um, and that's an advantage that, you know, to your point about larger companies, they can subsidize some of those costs. You know, they can go to their supplier network and say, we'll pay for you to get on the network. We'll pay for you uh, to build out that EDI connection or we'll, we'll subsidize it or pay for you to get on to a web portal and things like that. Uh, and obviously, that gives them a little bit of an advantage of building a building a network and making that more palatable for their suppliers uh, to participate. Uh, when it comes to technology, uh, to, to answer your question around technology, uh, you know, traditionally these are the only two channels that have been offered to suppliers: you, you connect via EDI, or you connect, you know, via a portal. Those are the the two ways for you to, as a supplier to support your your customers' digitization initiative, right? Uh, what's, what's really exciting now is that we're, we're introducing, you know, we're seeing the rise of a third channel. Uh, and I say that a little bit tongue in cheek because it's not a new channel. It's, it's really a leveraging and, and an augmentation of a, an existing channel, that being email. So, uh, you know, email is something that we're all accustomed to. It's something that we all use on a daily basis to conduct, con conduct both our, our personal and professional lives, right? So, uh, and in many cases, it's what these suppliers are used to using already. You know, this is how they get a uh, majority of their orders today with their 
clients, right? So it's it's kind of the channel that's existing and been out there. We just haven't been able to do anything with it uh, to, to to make it, you know, a part of a digitization initiative. So so what what's happening now is that email is really being empowered to do so much more. Uh, and the way that works is, you know, when when an order comes into a network, you can convert that order into a different electronic formats, right? And one of those is email. You can send that to the user, get an order. You would get an order just as you would today, only now instead of hitting reply to send that back, uh, you hit a button within that email, put your, you know, I can deliver this amount on this date. Uh, and instead of hitting send, when you hit send on, you know, on this kind of version of an email, what we call in our, in our network quick link email, uh, it's instead of hitting, instead of that just going back as an email, now that gets converted back into an electronic signal to your customer, and it goes back into their ERP system as a order confirmation. And to that buyer, you're, you're a supplier that's now on the network, right? You're a supplier that has been effectively digitized, and and you haven't had to do anything, right? It really addresses those challenges we talk about. There's no upfront IT barriers, right? There's no cost or technology that you have to be able to, to adopt other than email. Uh, there's no portal. You don't have to, you know, go build out a bunch of different, uh, to go access a bunch of different portals. You don't have to train backups. You don't have to remember username and passwords. You don't have to worry about that degradation of, of portal uh, kind of onboardings that exist where there's turnover within companies. You know, Adrian leaves the company does someone else know how to use that portal? Uh, you know, do they remember how to go and access that portal, right? Instead, when those emails are going into that customer service inbox, if there's turnover, somebody else is still manning that customer service inbox and able to interact with those with those emails that are coming in, right? So you don't have that degradation and ongoing expense of of monitoring and keeping keeping your suppliers current on a on a web application. So. It's a really it's a really cool technology that's really enabling companies to build networks much faster and at a much more you know reasonable cost, uh, and it's empowering suppliers too, right? Because suppliers want to offer this as a service. You know, they want to to do this for their customers, but they want to do it where where the return on investment makes sense for them as well, right? They want to win win, and this has really kind of enabled that, and it's enabled smaller and and and, and medium-sized suppliers to compete with the suppliers that are much larger, have much bigger IT budgets, right? Because now I can participate, I can offer that as a service just as well as a very large, you know, multi-billion dollar supplier uh, can offer that as a service. Uh, and, and it's done in a way that it makes it easier for me to, easy for me to, to offer that, right? Uh, and it also helps buyers that are small or mid-market buyers in the sense that they didn't have the budget to subsidize all these connections and help really build that network. Uh, and now they can do that very cheaply, uh, very easily, very, you know, it scales very easily. So, so it's really leveled the playing ground, the playing field for, for both mid and small buyers and mid and small suppliers that they now have a means to do that. It's really to your point, just real quickly on the, on the, the long tail, Right, there was never a business case for connecting those long-term suppliers, right? If we're talking about a supplier that has one or two orders a month, is it really warranted to build an EDI connection? Is it really warranted for them to have the expense of, of using a portal, and especially once or twice a month, trying to remember how to how to use one of those those different portals? Uh, 
whereas now the cost, when, when the cost is zero to add a new supplier to the network, now all of those suppliers are, are you know, fair game. That's all something that you want to, to add to your network. That's all something that's, that's part of the, the scope of your digitization program with a, with a technology like this available to you. Yeah, and all, all all great points, and I think you know the you, you know to me it's you know historically when I know when I would talk to folks and they would say you know to to, to your point about you know connecting to that long tail, it's like gosh if I if I try to connect I mean I've got thousands of suppliers right if I try to connect with all of them via EDI for example it, it will literally take me like three hundred years <laughs> you know to you know to do that by the time you set up the systems and do the mapping and and testing and everything else, it, you know, it would take, you know, weeks with every customer, with every supplier. And we just don't have the, the resources or the time, you know, you know, to do it. And, and to your point, I mean, in some cases it's just not worth it because you're not, you know, just doing a handful of transactions a year. Right. But what I think what's happening today is that, you know, even if it's just a few transactions a year, you still want that data, you know, in a digital form and within your systems, because it is part of your broader, you know, supply chain. And I think that, you know, the, 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 the fact that you can leverage uh, a tool like email that I think many of us have this love hate relationship with email. And in some, in some cases, or a lot of cases, it's a, it's a non-productivity tool. Um, you know, in this case, it's being able to convert through modern, more modern technology, being able to leverage email in a much more productive way and in a way that integrates effectively with, uh, you know, the a platform and with the uh, enterprise systems that companies have to get away from the, you know, manualing, manual inputting of, of information um, or, you know, be able to do this in a much more, you know, this integration, a much more scalable and cost effective way as, as you, uh, you described. So, so I think you're right. I mean, I think, you know, EDI has its place and, you know, I think uh, that it's not going to go away anytime soon. Um, but, you know, you also have APIs that are, that are a part of the mix right now. You still have portals you know, that still makes sense in certain cases, but being able to have this new tool to your point, which is not really new, it's, it's leveraging email that's been around forever, but leveraging in a more modern uh, way is, um, you know, in some ways a game changer, you know, in my opinion, you know, to really get to that long tail and, and, and really drive the digitization of, uh, of, of end-to-end supply chains. Um, you know, so how, ultimately, how do you, uh, you know, how do you quantify or measure you know, the benefits, I mean, uh, you know, what's, what's the business case at the end of the day for streamlining and automating, you know, your, your P2P process? Uh, sure. So, so, you know, that, that business case usually starts with uh, talking about kind of reducing administrative burdens, right? Administrative overhead, data entry, things like that, right? So if you can uh, get an order confirmed through a system or a ship notice put into a system, nobody at that organization has to then go key that into their ERP, uh, they don't have to go key the, uh, the ship notice in or the quality information in so they can release the goods into their production. Uh, they don't have to key invoices in. So it starts with that kind of manual effort, data entry effort. Uh, and that matters because, you know, the procurement organizations I talk to have real talent shortages uh, and issues around that, right? So if you can free up capacity, free up talent to develop so that they're doing things other than data entry, and now you can develop them to do something, you know, more value added in your company that, you know, that that's really important. And we're talking about significant, you know, amount of time that's spent when we're, when we're looking at hundreds of thousands of orders, uh, you know, coming into in every year for a, a particular organization. Uh, you know, the other value case uh, exists around 
kind of the latency of, of that data. So, you know, invoicing today still for the most part comes in as a paper copy in, in snail mail, you know, so some of that comes in via email, uh, some of that comes in via, you know, a network, but a lot of it is still paper, right? And, and you can't control your working, you can't optimize your working capital uh, or take advantage of things like uh, payment term discounts, right? So if supplier offers you 210 net 30, right? Where you can take people off if you, if you pay within 10 days. A lot of the times you're waiting for that, that invoice to get there. It's getting into a mailroom. It's going to somebody's desk. Somebody has to key it in. By the time that invoice exists in your, in your ERP system, uh, that 10 days has passed, right? So you can't make that decision around what you would rather do and pay them early or, or, or you know, hold on to that money yourself. Uh, so that's a big component of, of kind of the savings of automation. And, and those things that I just talked about really apply to both indirects and directs. Uh, direct materials. The direct materials, obviously, it's going to be more important around having the ship notice and things like that in there. Uh, but really, uh, in the world of directs, when we talk about you know working capital control, this is the first layer of visibility into your network, right? And and the way that you manage a lack of visibility in your network is 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 really one of three ways. One, you throw people at it, and you have a bunch of people checking, did that order get confirmed? Is it gonna be delivered on time? Did it get shipped? Can I call the carrier? Uh, constantly making sure that that their raw materials are gonna be there to keep their production lines running, right? Uh, the second way you manage that, if you don't have you know, a digital network, is through inventory. So you just keep an excessive amount of safety stock, 10, 15 days of safety stock on hand, manage those bumps so that when you don't know that, uh, an order isn't going to be, you don't know that there's an issue with an order till the day of delivery. You can manage that by keeping excessive, you know, inventory. And that's how you maintain your service levels, right? And the third way is really transportation costs. Uh, so if you don't have that visibility and you don't have, you know, uh, the inventory level to manage it, what you do is you air freight things, right? So, uh, you know, you have whole crisis teams that are, that are dedicated to an order didn't get here. How can we shuffle, you know, materials around from these these plants that are around there, and then get an order to that plant and, and kind of move it around? Or do we need to air freight it? Uh, and those costs are dramatic, right? You know, for air freighting something, you're talking, you know, you know, close to a hundred thousand dollars for for a, a given cargo container of twenty two thousand kilograms, for example, versus that coming over on the ocean being significantly significantly cheaper, right? So those are the three ways that companies typically manage it. So, you know. You as a company, you've got the administrative benefits, you've got the benefits for, for kind of invoice discounts, and managing your cash flow that way, uh, but also, you know, inventory. And we're talking about millions and millions of dollars in inventory that you're probably keeping on hand because you don't know what's gonna happen uh, in your supply chain. And that's really the business case that we see. Yeah, no, I agree. I think those those three buckets, you know, the labor savings and labor productivity, I mean, that, that's a, that, that has a you know significant impact, uh, and then you've got the inventory aspect and the transportation aspects. Um, you, you know, I think when you really start looking at this whole P2P process, you see the ripple effects that it has on these other supply chain, you know, processes and functions and, and cost buckets. You know, in terms of the overall, you know, you know, value proposition. Um, you know, can can you share? I mean, you kind of. Uh, gave some high level examples there. Uh, maybe can you expand a little bit, maybe share an example, a customer example of P2P automation streamlining in action? 
Um, sure. You know, we have we have customers that we've worked with that we know of, say, you know, taken days and days of inventory, saved millions of dollars that way. Uh, we know customers that have talked to us about, uh, you know, every order they don't have to, every confirmation they don't have to key in is 10 minutes. Every ship notice is 10 minutes. Every invoice is 15 minutes. So they talk, you know, half an hour, let's say half an hour for every order for 100,000 orders. It's 50,000 hours of effort. That's 25 FTEs you know, that they, that they talk about, uh, a, a really, a really great example that always, that always jumps to mind that always kind of touch that touches on all, kind of all three of these is, you know, generally plants are incentivized to keep production running, right? That is their major thing. Do not let any production line get shut down. Um, so they don't care so much about working capital. Uh, but one organization that we worked with, you know, looked at their inventory and they said, you know, we're keeping an excessive amount of inventory. We know that we are. Uh, so they kind of had a program where they were pushing this down onto their plants. We've got to get inventory levels down a certain amount. Uh, and the plants complied with that and they got it down. Um, and in the first quarter of that year where that program uh, was initiated, uh, the result was that because this company didn't have visibility into what was happening within their network, uh, that they had millions and millions of dollars of expedited freight costs. So they got the inventory down, but the result was that they had to spend a lot of money, millions of dollars on air freight to manage the hiccups in the supply chain because they didn't see them coming. Because if you know, you know, 90 days in advance when you place an order or 30 days in advance, depending on kind of what the lead time is in your supply chain for that particular supplier, if you know within 24 hours that they can't deliver it on time and in full, your mitigation costs are next to nothing, right? If you know when that boat was supposed to get on the water and that that container didn't make the vessel, your mitigation costs have gone up, but they're still not extreme. If you don't know until the day that that container is supposed to get there that there's a big problem uh, or that it's supposed to get to the port you know, near your plant, then your costs are, are obviously very extreme. So this company working with us uh, you know, was able to digitize all these suppliers, these critical raw material suppliers. And, and ultimately what they achieved is they saved millions of dollars in expedited freight. Uh, they met their, their inventory objectives and keeping their, their inventory safety stocks at a, at a level, a much more reasonable level and saved millions of dollars that way. And they talked to us about how, uh, you know, administrative burden or overhead wasn't really one of their goals but they were able to grow as a company uh, without having to, to, to hire new resources. And, and, and that was because of the digitization initiative that they had, they had done. So they, they kind of hit on all three and, and had a, and it was a really you know, great story uh, working with them. Yeah. And no, I think that's a great, great example of, of, you know, how it impacts, you know, those, those three buckets of inventory labor and, uh, you know, and, and transportation and, and significant, you know, significant, you know, dollar figures here. And obviously the, you know, the, the bigger the company you are, um, you know, the, the, the greater the impact, uh, especially the, you know, the more suppliers and the more orders you're processing and so forth. I mean, that, that has a greater impact. Um, you know, we're running short on time here, so I'm just going to get to my kind of last couple of questions here. I mean, we, we talked about kind of this, you know, the, the, the I'll call it smart email, uh, that, that that's kind of uh, helped, uh, you know, companies become more digital with their uh, suppliers and trading partners. Are, are there any new or other technologies or innovations on the horizon that are going to continue to push the envelope forward here? 
Sure. So there's there's a lot of buzzwords out right now, uh, blockchain being one of them, IoT, uh, social. I, th I think blockchain, there's definitely, you know, a lot of interest in blockchain right now. Um, whether, you know, how we're going to apply that, I think is still a little up in the air. I think that's a, a little bit too far out almost to really kind of understand what the impact is. Is it going to be, you know, an improved messaging platform? Is it going to be how we do finance in the future? Uh, is it going to be, you know, uh, chain of custody that's important in the pharmaceutical industry and agricultural industry? Uh, the things that I see kind of on the immediate horizon, um, you know, and, and that are already being applied in some cases are, are IoT, you know, components of IoT, right? So uh, being able to, you know, smart pallets where you're tracking an individual pallet, knowing what temperatures it was exposed to, knowing what shock level it was exposed to, humidity, uh, especially when we're talking about raw materials, uh, you know, those are all very important. So now, uh, you know, as before where you would have to, to go uh, connect different logistics partners. Maybe now you can go to a data aggregator, build out an API and get GPS signals, you know, off of boats, off of containers, off of, off of uh, trucks and apply that to your supply chain and, and know at a much more granular level what's happening and not even rely necessarily on partners, but having multiple sources that provide that shipment information, what's happening. I don't always have to get it perfectly timely information from my supplier. I also have these other sources uh, of data that are coming in and providing info. And from a social perspective and, and also uh, kind of uh, talk about big data, uh, you know, there's also these feeds coming in where people are making sense of, you know, uh, risk events and, and things, aggregating all these different news events so that, you know, the world the world's getting to a point, you know, in the very near future where you as a, as a buyer placing an order know, is there an issue at that port? Is there a labor strike at that port? Did an explosion occur at the hazardous materials section of that port? Then you can track, did my container get loaded on the vessel? Was it rerouted? You know exactly where that container is via GPS. And you're adding all of that in into kind of the, the, the tracking that you're doing of your supply. And, and that's the really cool stuff that I see kind of that we're on the cusp of kind of really putting that whole big picture together and adding all those APIs and other kind of service providers data in there to give you, you know, real, real fine-tuned control of your supply chain. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, I think that's, that's an area that, um, you know, when it comes to social, when it comes to IOT, uh, you know, real-time freight visibility, which is, you know, hot, hot topic, you know, the, these days, um, you know, those, those are all things I see as well as, you know, ultimately going to be playing a role, um, you know, and a bigger role, you know, moving forward and, you know, blockchain too. I think that's the big question mark. I mean, I think they're, you know, depending on the type of industry and depending on the supply chain, you know, we'll, we'll probably have a role here as well. But, you know, the one thing that's always sure is that, you know, this industry continues to evolve and continues to innovate. So, um, you know, we'll continue to see that happening in, in the years ahead. So, you know, as a way to wrap up then, I mean, you know, what questions, um, you know, should companies ask themselves, you, you know, uh, to assess whether they're kind of a leader or, or a laggard when it comes to, you know, their P2P process? Uh, sure. So, so the way I think that, so I don't want to give a bunch of metrics that are, you know, you can go to different uh, consulting sites that have, you know, that look at this and say, this, you want to look at procurement as a percentage of spend, how much cost is procurement, things like that. I think the, the one big driver that everything else kind of falls into place behind is, you know, what volume, what percentage of your volume is, is digitized, right? And, and I think that all the other costs 
kind of come off and you're able to kind of optimize your organization around that. So if you can get to 90 plus percent, like the organizations we talked about, you're, you're definitely a leader in this industry. You know, if you're, if you're doing things like looking at more collaborative approaches, like vendor managed inventory, forecast collaboration, sharing information, giving visibility to your, back to your suppliers too, uh, you know, you're definitely going to be a leader in this. If you're, if you're looking at how do I incorporate those logistics signals, uh, you know, how do I optimize my working capital? You're not just thinking about administrative savings. I say 10 minutes, you're thinking about, I want to use this to optimize, to really optimize my supply chain. Uh, you're a leader, but, but these are, you know, this is a moving target, so to speak, right? We talk about 90 plus percent, or I talk about 90 plus percent, you know, providing all of these other things that you're able to kind of, kind of move to that next level of, of supply chain technology. But I really think, you know, with with some of the technology we talked about today, like the QuickLink email solution, that 90%, you know, I, I don't know that we're ever going to get to to 100%, but I think that in the next five years or so, uh, you know, 99% is going to be really achievable. And and that's where companies that are going to be on the leading edge, yeah, there's around nine, 99% uh, of their supply chain being digitized. Well, I think that's a that's a great uh, question or great metric to you know to focus on because, like you said, I think that that question in terms of you know what percent of your network is digitally connected, um, you know, has a ripple effect on everything else that we've we've talked about here. So the higher the number, the you know the more ahead of the curve uh, you know you are. Um, so I think that's a great you know opening question for anyone listening today to maybe ask yourselves uh, you know at your next meeting, your next team meeting, is to you know get, get a handle on that and see what, where you guys are. Uh, well, Omar, I, like I always say at the end of all our episodes, you know, we always just manage to scratch the sof- uh, surface on these topics and, uh, you know, a lot of food for thought, uh, you know, a, a lot of, um, you know, things, that, moving parts to this whole process, but I think you provided some great uh, insights and, and advice. So uh, thank you for making the time to be with us today. Uh, my pleasure, Adrian. Thank you for having me. Uh, I want to thank those of you that joined us. Uh, if you're watching this episode on demand, uh, either at the uh, Alemica website or on Talking Logistics, and you've got a question or a comment for uh, Omar, you can uh, post it there and I'm sure he'll be more than happy to respond via that medium. Again, thank you for joining us and look forward to seeing you in a future episode of Talking Logistics. Have a great day.